Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. Well, good morning, Faith. Hey, listen, though I'm not able to be with you this morning, I wanted to introduce our speaker today, someone I have known for almost 20 years now, my friend, Greg Steer. He's a champion for unleashing this generation with the gospel. He's the founder of Dare to Share Ministries. He is driven and filled with more energy than anyone I know, but he uses it to help the church activate Christian teenagers to reach their friends. In the last 30 years, Greg has trained millions of youth leaders and students on how to relationally engage their world with the good news of Jesus Christ. Greg is a former pastor, church planter, youth leader, as well as the author of numerous books, including his latest, Unlikely Fighter, in which you're going to hear more from him about that in just a moment. Greg lives right here in Arvada. He and his wife, Debbie, have been married for over 31 years. Their kids, Jeremy and Kaylee, have gone to our school, Faith Christian Academy, and we are honored to have him minister to us today. Faith Church, can we give Greg a big welcome as he comes and ministers to us today? God bless you. All right, so glad to be here with you all and to be able to share with you today. Uh, I love Pastor Jason because he is a gospel advancing pastor. This is a gospel advancing church, runs a gospel advancing youth ministry. Yesterday, uh, we saw a Dare to Share Life took place uh, at Mission Hills, but Evan, youth leader here, brought a whole army of students from faith uh, down to Mission Hills, trained, equipped them to share the gospel. It was piped into like 1,300 churches in 47 states, four different countries simultaneously, thousands upon thousands of teens trained, equipped, and mobilized to go out and share the gospel. Let's give God a hand for what he did at Dare to Share Life. And let's give God a hand for blessing you with a gospel advancing church where the pastor and the youth leader believe in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Give the Lord a hand for that. Excited to be able to share with you today. Uh, this last Tuesday, my new book released. It's called Unlikely Fighter. And the tagline is the story of how a fatherless street kid overcame violence, chaos, and confusion to become a radical Christ follower. Uh, it was written to adults, uh, but it really is about growing up in this crazy family. I was raised in North Denver. Now, I know now it's called the Highlands. And there's a lot of skinny jeans and organic salads down there. Uh, but back in the day, it was the highest crime rate area of Denver. And my family had something to do with that crime rate. I don't come from a typical religious, church-going, pew-sitting, hymn-singing family. I come from a family filled with bodybuilding, tobacco chewing, beer-drinking thugs. And that's just the women, sadly. But in, it, <laughs> it was a crazy family. My family name is Matthias. And I was raised in this area where um, there's a lot of crime. Uh, three of my uncles were competitive bodybuilders. The fourth one was a bouncer at the toughest bar in Denver. The fifth one was a Golden Gloves boxer, judo champion, and war hero. I know what you're thinking. What happened to you? I was at the bottom of the gene pool. My mom was the only girl in the group, but they were all afraid of her because she used a baseball bat when she fought. And so the Denver Mafia, the Smalldones, had a nickname for my uncles. 
They called my uncles the crazy brothers. So when the mafia thinks your family's dysfunctional, that's not good, right? And my family was not organized crime. It was disorganized crime. They just liked to fight. The toughest one of my family members was my Uncle Jack. We got a picture of my Uncle Jack. That's Uncle Jack right there. He only weighs 185 pounds in that picture, and 85 of those pounds are in that bicep right there. He looks a little like the Wolverine, right? He went to jail one time for choking two cops unconscious at the same time who were trying to arrest him on assault charges. He was a very dangerous man, spent a lot of his time, a lot of his life in jail. And one day, a preacher from the Deep South, whose nickname was Yankee for some reason. We got a picture of Yankee. This is a picture of Yankee right there. He looks like Yankee, right? Deep South, nicknamed Yankee, planted a church in Arvada, Colorado. And on a dare from a guy named Bob Daly, who knew my Uncle Jack, but was too afraid to share the gospel with him, Yankee went to my Uncle Jack's door, knocked on his door, Jack came to the door, no shirt on, tats everywhere, two beer cans, one for drinking beer, one for spit and chew. You didn't want to get those mixed up. My Uncle Jack talked like this. He goes, what do you want? Yankee said, I'm here on a dare from Bob Daly to tell you about Jesus. My Uncle Jack said, well, I know, I know Bob. I don't know Jesus. I'll give you five minutes. Invited him in. They sat down at the kitchen table and Yankee explained not, not religion, but a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That Jesus came for sinners that going to heaven was not by being good. It was by recognizing you were a sinner in need of a savior. My Uncle Jack had never heard the true gospel. And right there, Yankee made it crystal clear. And he asked my Uncle Jack, does that make sense? And he said, hell yeah. That was a sinner's prayer. Hell yeah. And he put his faith in Christ. And have you ever met a new believer that doesn't know the rules yet about loving your enemies? That was Jack because he started telling everyone about Jesus. And if they didn't take Jesus, he would give them Moses right upside their head. <laughs> One day he's in a sauna, buck naked, sharing Christ with another buck naked bodybuilder. And there's another dude who's buck naked trying to interrupt and argue. My Uncle Jack doesn't know the rules about loving your enemies. He looks over, he goes, hey, I'm trying to tell this guy about the love of Jesus. Why don't you shut your stinking mouth? He continues to share the gospel. The guy interrupts again. He goes, yo, you interrupt me one more time. I'm taking you out. He continues to share the gospel. This guy interrupted one more time. Jack, boom, hits this guy. The guy falls to the ground, looks up and goes, Jesus didn't go around hitting people like that. He goes, well, I ain't Jesus. I'm Jack. <laughs> didn't know the rules yet. One day, driving down the street on a Sunday morning, brand new believer, Jack gets what he calls the itch. Now, before Christ, the itch was to get in a fight. After Christ, the itch was to tell people about Jesus. So he's like, where's some people that need Jesus on a Sunday morning? Drives past the Mormon church. Oh, they're in there. He pulls in to the Mormon church parking lot, goes in to the church, asks where the newcomer Sunday school class is, down the hallway to the right. He goes down the hallway to the right. 25 new Mormons getting trained in Mormonism. Jack raises his hand, says, hey, I want to share my testimony with the class. Well, they think he's a new Mormon. Come on down. That was a mistake. Because Jack stood up. He gave the gospel. He gave an invitation and 18 of the 25 new Mormons became new Christians that day 
Because the gospel changes everything. I could tell you story after story after story about my Uncle Bob in the back of a squad car after he beat a guy to death, about my mom, about my Uncle Richard. One by one by one by one, my whole family was radically transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ because of one unlikely fighter named Yankee, nicknamed Yankee, who was willing to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think of unlikely fighters in the Bible. I think of maybe the most unlikely fighter in the Old Testament, David. David, this shepherd boy, who's delivering cheese and crackers to his older brothers in the war. Probably about 15 years of age. Every day, Goliath, this nine foot six giant, comes out for 40 days and 40 nights. Once in the morning, once at night. And he taunts the armies of the Israelites, send out your best champion. Nobody wants to fight a nine foot six Philistine champion named Goliath. But David, delivering cheese and crackers, overhears Goliath and says, I'll fight him. They take him to King Saul. He he looks at this kid, tries to put on his armor. Imagine teenage David clanking around in his armor. He's like, I can't go in this. I'm not used to these. I'm going to go like like I am. I'm a shepherd. Shepherds have a stick, so he took his stick. Shepherds have a sling, so he took his sling. He grabbed five stones from the brook. He goes down to face off with a nine foot six giant named Goliath. And I want you to imagine the scene as Goliath sees this kid coming at him with a stick. And he says, what am I, a dog? Did you come at me with sticks? Come here, kid. Today, I'm going to give your carcass to the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. And I love David's response, the best comeback in all the Bible. Imagine this teenage boy saying, you come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. Today, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to cut off your head and I'm going to give the carcasses of the entire Philistine army to the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. And this day, the world will know there is a God in Israel. Let's get it on. He didn't say that last part, but he should have. And he starts running. He grabs a rock. He puts it in the sling. He swings that sling. He throws that stone. And that stone drills through Goliath's giant skull. He dies standing on his feet. Then boom, falls to the ground with a thud. And God uses a teenager, an unlikely fighter, a shepherd boy to defeat an unbeatable giant. I do not know what giants you are facing today. But I want to share with you today something. I want to share with you my thesis, my big idea. It's this. God uses unlikely fighters to face unbeatable giants so he can accomplish an unimaginable victory. I want you to be thinking about what that giant is that you're facing. And we're going to see that giant fall today. Let's talk about unlikely fighters. The Bible is full of unlikely fighters. He used a novice boat builder named Noah 
An elderly patriarch named Abraham, a stuttering shepherd named Moses, a teen queen named Esther, a confident senior citizen named Caleb, a God-fearing prostitute named Rahab, a young dreamer named Daniel, a fig-picking prophet named Amos, a girl-crazy warrior named Samson, a prejudiced preacher named Jonah, a terrified Benjamite named Gideon, a patient ex-con named Joseph, a determined cupbearer named Nehemiah, a cricket-eating, camel-fur-wearing, water-drenched madman named John the Baptist. God loves to use unlikely fighters. David was an unlikely fighter. He was too unknown. He was a shepherd. Shepherds spend their time in the fields with sheep. Even his own dad, when Samuel came over to anoint the next king of Israel, went through all the kids. And Samuel said, is there anybody else? He goes, oh yeah, there's one other kid I have, David. He's with the sheep. I'll get him. His own dad forgot about him. He was too unknown. He was too inexperienced. He was a shepherd, not a soldier. He was a worshiper, not a warrior. He was too young. The youngest of eight children. By the way, let me make a little side note. This is why I love working with teenagers. Because they're too young. They're too crazy. They're too inexperienced. They're too unlikely. Do you know every major spiritual awakening in the history of the United States has had teenagers on the leading edge? You have a church that does not underestimate young people. Don't you dare underestimate teenagers. Most of the disciples were probably teens when they began to follow Jesus. I believe teenagers can change the course of this nation, of this world. I was an unlikely fighter. I was a wimpy kid in North Denver, raised in this ludicrously strong family full of bodybuilders. I obviously did not fit into my family. I was a kid that carried a dictionary with me. I was like young Sheldon in the hood. And I was terrified everywhere that I went. And my family was worried about me. I would hide behind the couch and underneath the kitchen sink to get away from my own family. I was scared of my family. I was scared of my neighborhood because I lived in the highest crime area in Denver. I was afraid all the time. I remember once at a Christmas celebration at my grandparents' house, I have a huge family. My uncles are there. My cousins are there. My grandfather, grandmother, my mom, my brother, we're all there. Everybody's opening up their presents. I'm in the corner opening up mine. And right before lunch, right when all the presents were open, my Uncle Dave, who is a war hero, he got 40 medals and commendations in the Vietnam War in one tour of duty. He had five bullet holes in his body and a five-inch bayonet scar. And the enemy soldier that gave him the bayonet scar, he took his gun from him and killed him and rescued the American soldier that he was holding captive. And then he flew six hours after that. I go, what about your scar? He goes, duct taped it. I'm like, my goodness, okay, you're Rambo. He's a hero to me. And he says this at this Christmas party. Wait, everybody, before we go to lunch, I got one more present. It's for little Greg. Nobody ever called me out like that. I remember walking up with six-year-old swagger, you know, for the first time, all eyes on me. He gives me this present. I open it up for my entire family and it's a girl's doll. 
And I actually think it's a mistake. I go, it's a girl's doll. He goes, yeah, I figured you don't have a dad, so you like to play with dolls like a little girl. And I shoved it in the stomach. I go, ain't no girl. And I walked back. All my uncles were like, oh, did you see the temper on him? Maybe he's one of us after all. Let me tell you, it sent me in a spiral as a six-year-old kid. But I'm glad that happened. You know why? Because from the time I was six years old, I knew my giant. My giant was my identity. Who am I? Why am I here? I want you to face your giant because you're an unlikely fighter too. And God specializes in using the unlikely. He chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise so that no one may boast before him. If you feel unusable, God can use you. If you feel like you're not special, God has a special place for you. If you feel too poor or too weak or too sinful or too unpopular or too whatever, he's more than too excited to use you. Why? Because when he does, he will get all the glory. Unlikely fighters who face unbeatable giants. I mean, could you imagine having to face Goliath? David's giant seemed unbeatable. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span. Again, nine foot, six inches tall. You wouldn't want him on your basketball team because his head would get stuck in the net. He's a champion, which means he killed thousands in the course of war. He was undisputed, undefeated, heavyweight champion of the world. He seemed unbeatable because of the size of his weapons. He had a huge spear to throw at you, a giant javelin to hurl at you, a gigantic sword to swing at you. He seemed unbeatable. The giants we may face right now may seem unbeatable. And I want you to identify that giant. Maybe it's an illness or a prognosis. Maybe it's a financial crisis, a strained marriage, a wayward son or daughter, a job that you hate an addiction that you can't seem to overcome or a sin that you can't seem to stop. I want you to identify that giant. Name your giant because you can't crucify what you refuse to identify. What giant are you facing? Maybe it's a giant sin in your life. Maybe it's porn or alcohol, drug addiction, gossip, slander, bitterness. Paul writes in Romans 6, 12, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't let that giant rule you so that you obey its evil desires. Some of you are a slave to those kinds of sins right now and it seems like an unbeatable giant. Maybe it's a giant problem in your marriage. Some of you today on the way to church got in a real big argument with your spouse. And maybe even when you pulled up, that argument was still going on and you said, all right, put on a happy face, we're going in. I remember that happened to me when I was a pastor. Co-planted Grace Church in 1989 with Rick Long, a lifelong friend. Doing the church, doing Dare to Share at the same time, five years into my marriage. I'm gone all the time. I'm doing dare to share events on the weekends. I'm preaching, doing counseling at night, elders meetings, gone every night. When I do come home, I got nothing left for my wife. We're five years in or so to our marriage. She's upset. We get in an argument on the way to Bible study. 
I'm like, put on a happy face. We're going in. She is mad. You got to understand my wife to appreciate this. My wife is maybe the sweetest person on the planet. She's got no natural predators. She's been a fifth grade public school teacher at the same school for 26 years. Campbell Elementary. Matter, matter of fact, outside of Arvada, Colorado, I'm the Dare to Share guy. Inside Arvada, Colorado, I'm Mrs. Deer's husband. She's a legend and everybody loves her. Except for that night, me. And we go in and she's still steaming mad and we get in the Bible study circle and Pastor Green, thank the Lord, I'm not leading the Bible study that night. Pastor Green, the associate pastor is. He's, you know what, tonight, instead of doing our Bible study, let's just, let's just go around the room. Let's be real and raw and honest and just, how are we doing? How are our marriages? How are our lives? Let's talk. I'm like, oh no, oh no. So he's going around the room and I'm thinking, how am I going to spin this, you know? He gets to me and I'm like, well, pray for us. It's been a lot of stress. I'm gone a lot with Dare to Share and the church keeps me busy and I'm trying to find the ministry life rhythms, you know, all the stuff that pastors say to get out of being responsible, right? So he gets to my wife, goes, how's it going, Debbie? She goes, not good. And everybody looks up. He goes, what's going on? She goes, my husband is gone every weekend. He's gone every night. He's doing dare to share stuff or doing church stuff. When he does come home, he's got nothing left for me. I can't take it. I can't fake it anymore. My husband is a jerk. And I go, you want to do this right now in front of God and everyone? Let's get it on. And so we start going. Everybody in the Bible study thinks it's some kind of skit. It's not a skit. It is not a skit. We are arguing back and forth and Pastor Green, who'd been ticking me off in the staff meeting anyway, makes a mistake of interrupting. He goes, oh, Pastor Steer, you think you're all that? You think you're Mr. Dare to Share and Mr. Pastor of Grace Church? If you don't take care of business at home, you're nothing. I go, yeah. I stand up. I go, yeah, you think? I figured I've already sinned. I'm going all in. I go, how about I kick your rear? And I run toward him. Just run. I just see a big target on his forehead. I'm like, I'm going out in style. Woo! And I'm running toward him in the middle of the Bible study circle. Everybody in the Bible study is like, have popcorn. They're like, this, I love this church. You never know what's going to happen. And in the middle of that room, I ran into my giant. The Holy Spirit hit me so hard. I fell to the ground because I knew he was right and she was right and I was wrong and I began not to cry but to weep. Like a little kid weeps when they get hurt so bad they can't catch their breath and I wept for 30 minutes in the middle of that Bible study circle and I could not catch my breath which led to another awkward moment for everybody there. They're like, what do we do now? This is our pastor. Do we call a priest? I mean, how does this work? They prayed over me. They prayed over my wife. Let me tell you, that was the most humiliating moment of my life. But it saved my marriage. Because everybody knew the cat was out of the bag. The jerk was out of the bag. And that church rallied around me and my wife and our marriage was restored. Let me tell you something. These giants are real. And you have to face them. Could be a giant hurt in your heart. You are abused. You are abandoned. There's bitterness in your soul. What is that giant? I want you to name it in your heart right now. Is it lust? Is it comparison? Bitterness? Identity? An addiction? 
a broken marriage. Name that giant. God uses unlikely fighters to face unbeatable giants so he can accomplish an unimaginable victory. The unimaginable victory that comes through his name. You know, my family name was something to be feared. My family name is not Steer. My family name was Matthias. And in North Denver, that name carried weight. I went over to Little Nick's, you know, Little Nick's the seven, by the 7-Eleven on Kipling and I-70. And I went in. I go, what is it? He goes, Denver's last North Denver restaurant. It's half Italian, half Mexican, like North Denver. I go, oh, yeah, yeah, cool. I go, I'm from North Denver. He goes, which part? I go, 20th and Federal? He goes, yeah, what's your family name? I go, well, my last name's Steer. My family name's Matthias. He goes, the five brothers? And this is like 40 years ago. He, I go, yeah. He goes, those are your uncles? I go, yeah. He goes, oh, my goodness. They were the toughest guys I've ever seen in my life. They like me, thank the Lord, you know. A family had, name had weight. And I was just a little kid, but when people found out I was in the Matthias clan, people backed up. Not because of fear of me, but because of fear of my uncle's fists. There's power in the name. David, 1 Samuel 17, 45, he says this, to Goliath, you come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. There is power in the name of our God. There is power in the name of Jesus. We have an unimaginable victory that comes through his name and that flowed from his shame. Hebrews 12, 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set forth before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, our victory is not with a sling and a stone. Our victory is with the cross and Christ's blood. There's an unlikely twist in the story of David and Goliath. See, David faced Goliath 3,000 years ago. But Jesus faced the ultimate Goliath 2,000 years ago when he died on the cross. The story of David and Goliath can really motivate us to be unlikely warriors and to face our giants. But here's the twist. It's really not about us versus our giant. It's about the son of David, Jesus Christ, the most unlikely of fighters who entered the battlefield called earth 2,000 years ago and waged war with sin and Satan for the souls of humanity. Jesus died in our place on the cross. And while hanging on the cross, he screamed the words, it is finished. And that is when the ultimate giant was defeated. That's when sin was nailed to the cross. That's when Satan's head was crushed. In that moment, there was an earthquake that shook Jerusalem. There was a veil, that veil in the temple that separated God from humanity was torn from top to bottom. And the ultimate Goliath fell dead on his feet. Sin was defeated once and for all because Jesus defeated it through his own death on the cross. 1 Corinthians 15, 54, 57. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have victory through Jesus Christ. The victory that comes through his name 
and that flowed from his shame while he hung in shame on the cross in our place for our sin. How I so longed for my mom to know that victory. See, two years after I opened the doll, I heard the gospel. At Bethany Baptist Church in 26 and Clay, my grandparents took me there, put my faith in Christ. Then my Uncle Jack trusted Christ, went to Yankees Church. So I started going to Yankees Church. Used to be on 82nd and Sims, Colorado Bible Church. Used to be in the Grange on 72nd Sims at first and then moved up to 80, 82nd and Sims. And I went up there and I remember going in there as an 11, 12-year-old kid getting trained to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why Dare to Share kind of got his DNA. I got equipped to share the gospel. But the first person on my heart was my mom. I wanted my mom to know Jesus because my mom was filled with immense shame. Got a picture of my mom. I love this picture of mom because she got a little smirk on her face. You see it? That kind of a smile, a little bit of smirk, like, you okay? You need some water? Because I will take you out. My most vivid childhood memory of my ma was five years old. I'm playing with a plastic bat in North Denver on the porch. A brand new car pulls up and a dude's in it. He looks familiar and I realize it's Paul, one of the guys my ma had married months earlier who had left us and we had no idea where he'd been. And I yelled inside to my ma who was doing the dishes, Ma, one of my daddies is here. She looks out the window, Paul, that jerk, smoking a cigarette, doing the dishes. Where's the bat? And that old plastic bed, I go, here. She didn't want that one. She wanted the Louisville Slugger we kept behind the door. She grabs the Louisville Slugger, the baseball bat, goes running out, cigarettes still hanging out of her mouth, cursing every step of the way. He's still sitting in the car, and boom, she knocks out his front windshield. Says, get out of the car. Boom, takes out his headlights, takes off his side view mirror, cursing every step of the way, then starts doing body damage. And I am traumatized, yet somehow proud of my mom. I'm like, you go, mom, you go. Because I mean, she's a boom. And you could see the thought bubble above his head. Should I get out of the car? He made a tactical mistake. He got out. She's got five street fighting brothers. She know how to fight. He comes at her. She beats him to within an inch of his life. He finally gets back in the car drives off. For some strange reason, we never saw him again. And I'll never, there's certain things you don't forget as a kid. Ma walking back up that sidewalk with a broken, bloodied, splintered bat in her hand. Couple things. I thought to myself, I will never disobey my mom again. How does that cigarette stay in her mouth the whole time? And why is she so mad? See, my mom had a shame-fueled rage. She'd been used and abused by men her whole life. She met my biological father at a party. They partied. She got pregnant. He found out he got transferred. She never knew that I knew this, but my grandma told me the whole story when I was 12 years old. 
that she got in the car. She drove from Denver to Boston to have an illegal abortion. She was going to abort me. She didn't want to stand before her strict Baptist parents. She stayed with my Uncle Tommy, my Aunt Carol, who by this time had become Christians. And over the course of weeks and months, they talked her out of the abortion. She came back on a bus to Denver, eight months pregnant. And I wondered why growing up, when she would look at me, oftentimes she would burst out in tears. It's because she was full of shame because of the things she had done in her past and specifically that she almost aborted me. And that shame would often manifest as rage. So I remember when, when I'm 12 years old going to my ma saying, I want to tell you about Jesus. She used to say, you don't know the things I've done wrong. Well, I knew them all because my grandma had told me. And I tried from the time I was 12, 13, 14, till I was 15 years of age. And finally I walked in. You kind of got to come at my North Denver family. And I said, Ma, I don't want you to go to hell. Sit down. I didn't talk to my Ma like that. So she did. And I go, I want you to listen to everything I'm going to say. I don't want you to go to hell. And I'm tired of you living through this hell. Listen to what I'm saying. God loves you. Our sins, they separate us from God. Those sins could never be removed by good deeds. She'd be like, that's good because I ain't good. But Jesus paid the price on the cross for all of your sin. She goes, what about the bad ones? I go, they're all bad to God. She took a drag. She's smoking a cigarette. Benson Hedge is gold 100s. I said, if you trust in him right now, you have eternal life. She goes, you mean to tell me that's all I got to do is trust in Jesus? I go, yeah. She took another drag. She said, I'm in. When my family said they're in, they're in. My mom put her faith in Christ in that moment, and I am so grateful she trusted in Jesus Christ because her sins were forgiven. She was adopted into the family of God. She was given the righteousness of Christ. She had a purpose in her life for the first time. And 17 years ago, in Lutheran Hospital, in their hospice wing, my mom finally went to be with the Lord. And I remember that moment, man, she she put her faith in Christ and she departed to be with the Lord. And, and about a year later, somebody asked me, hey, how's your mom doing? They didn't know. I go, she's doing great. She stopped smoking, best shape of her life, singing all the time. She's dead. Uh. <laughs> My mom is in heaven today. Let me tell you, I'm gonna ask you this question. We're not finished yet, but I wanna ask you this. Do you know for sure? Some of you have sins in your past. You think God could never forgive me for that. Do you know for sure all your sins are forgiven? Do you know for sure if you were to die on the way home from church today that you would immediately be in the presence of God? Do you know for sure God is your heavenly father, that your sins are forgiven, that you have the righteousness of Christ? Do you know for sure you're a child of God unshakably in his hand? If you do not, now is the time. In, in the silence of your heart, you can say this prayer. Dear God, I'm a sinner but I believe that Jesus died for all my sins, even the bad ones. That he was buried, that he rose from the dead. And I trust in him alone to forgive me for all my sins right now. Can everybody bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment? We're not finished with the service yet, but I just want to give you a moment. If you've never put your faith in Christ, if you just put your faith in Christ, if you said that prayer in your heart to God, you're saved not because you said a prayer, but because you trusted in Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross.
I'd like to know who you are so I can pray for you. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, if that made sense for the first time and you just put your faith in Jesus, you receive that gift of eternal life right now through faith. Can you simply raise up your hand and put it right back down? God bless you and you. Anybody else? Just raise up your hand and put it right back down. God bless you. Anybody else? Raise up your hand and put it right back down. Let's give God a hand for these three who indicated faith in Christ. Please let somebody know that today you trusted in Jesus. Welcome to the family of God. This church wants to help you grow in your faith. Let me, let me say this, though, to the believers in this room. I was secretly glad when my mom died, which is hard for me to say because I love my mom. Because from the day she trusted in Jesus, she knew she was going to heaven. She knew she had eternal life. She knew her sins were forgiven, but she still struggled with shame. And I knew when my mom died, no more shame. She was standing before Christ, sin-free, guilt-free, shame-free. Please don't let it take death for you to experience that. Walk in that victory that's yours in Christ. That unimaginable victory that comes through his name flows from his shame and results in his fame. Why did David kill Goliath? It tells us in 1 Samuel 17, 46 and 47, I'm going to kill you so that this day the world will know there is a God in Israel. David knew that everybody around the known world would be buzzing about a shepherd boy that killed this Philistine giant that many would come to faith in the real name of the real God, Yahweh himself. This is the Old Testament version of evangelism. When we experience the victory of Christ, when we experience our giants falling, we got to tell somebody. Are you telling people about Jesus? Oh, I talk to Christians. Oh, I'm just not eloquent enough. I could never do that. I'm like, yeah, I saw your Facebook page. You had a pretty strong argument for or against vaccines or masks or whatever. And you were pretty eloquent on that. But when it comes to Jesus or the Broncos versus the Raiders or whatever, we can be eloquent about things we're passionate about. I'm going to ask you, will you be eloquent enough about Jesus because you're passionate enough about Jesus? Because when you experience that victory, you want to share it. Unlikely fighters facing unbeatable giants, experiencing an unimaginable victory that they must share with everyone. I want to challenge every single one of you to start thinking about somebody in your life now who does not have that victory, that desperately needs Jesus. And at the end of this talk, just a few moments, I'm going to give you a way to share Christ with them, a simple way. When it comes to unlikely fighters, I can't think of a more unlikely fighter than Doug. Doug was an unlikely fighter. Doug was a mess. 
He struggled with learning disabilities. And back in the 70s, kids like that were just mocked. And in his urban upbringing, kids were ruthless. And Doug had epilepsy, that insult to injury. He could have a grand mal seizure any time of the day or night. And kids were ruthless to Doug. But Doug was no wimp. He fought back with his fists. He started getting expelled from school, Lake Junior High. He started getting in trouble with the law. But then one day, his giant fell and he met Jesus and his life was transformed. And Doug began to share that ultimate victory he had in Christ. He began to make Jesus famous. He would tell anybody and everybody the good news about Jesus. You would see Doug walking the city streets of Denver looking for people at bus stops or hitchhikers telling them about Jesus. One day early on a Saturday, he said, hey, let's go tell somebody about Jesus. I go, it's kind of early. He goes, people need the Lord. How are you going to say no to that? So we get up and we go outside. We're looking for someone to talk to. Nobody's around. He's like, where is everyone? I go, they're still sleeping. Finally, we look at this park and about 100 yards away, there looks to be about an eight-year-old kid playing on a jungle gym. And Doug goes, there's one and starts running at this kid screaming, hey kid, where are you gonna go when you die? And the kid was terrified. He goes home and ran as fast as he could. <laughs> Doug comes back. I go, Doug, you scared that kid to death. He goes, I didn't mean to scare that kid. I just, I want that kid to know Jesus. Saved up his money, bought a bicycle. Took that bicycle all over the city streets of Denver doing drive-by evangelism. Pulled up to a stoplight at 80th and Wadsworth, southbound. Sees a car full of guys, think they need Jesus. Knocks on their window, they roll down the window, he begins sharing Christ. The light turns green halfway through, they said, we gotta go. He said, I'm going with you. Holds onto the handle, the car takes off, 10, 20, 30, 40, 45 miles an hour. Doug's balancing himself, sharing the gospel up Hackberry Hill. Finally, he says, I hope you believe. And he peels off to safety. Later on, he tells me the story. I go, Doug, you're an idiot. You could have got sucked under those tires, run over and killed. He goes, it'd be worth it. It'd be worth it for those guys to know Jesus. Doug went to the Perkins on 80th and Sheridan by himself. Saw a server there that was drop dead gorgeous. But he determined he would not date an unbeliever. So he led her to Christ right there, then asked her out right away. <laughs> she said yes. They went out on their first date, first or second date. This is going great. We should get married. She thought he was joking. Okay. Six months later, they got married. They moved to Ankeny, Iowa. And for 30 years, Doug was a custodian at the public school, Ankeny, Iowa. And he would share Christ as he stripped and waxed floors. He would tell kids. He would tell parents. He would tell administrators about Jesus, about the victory that God brought in his life, about the giant that fell. And administrators would tell him, Doug, evangelism is prohibited in a public school. Well, he thought encouraged because prohibited. Yeah. So he kept sharing the gospel. A few years back, Doug had to uh, retire early because Doug got an early on stage of dementia and Doug was forgetting stuff. But one thing he didn't forget, one thing he hasn't forgotten is Jesus. Because he tells everybody about Jesus. 
And he's so full of joy. You can see in that picture, there's so full of joy. Every week or so, he calls me and tells me about the latest person he's told about Jesus Christ. And one day, at the judgment seat of Christ, when Doug's name is called, there will be thousands who stand and applaud, who are impacted by this unlikely fighter. And I will be one of them. Because Doug, oh man, he's my big brother. And he's my hero. Because growing up, I saw the giants he was facing. And I saw Jesus defeat those giants. And I saw Doug telling everybody about Jesus. And I still see Doug telling everybody about Jesus. And if I know, if I know one thing, it's this. If my big brother, Doug Steer, can share the gospel, then I can share the gospel. Then you can share the gospel. The good news that the giants have fallen, that sin and Satan have been defeated through Jesus Christ. I want to share with you a simple way for you to be able to share the gospel. See those giants fall. I wrote Unlikely Fighter with the hope that people would read it for themselves and be encouraged as believers in Christ with the power of the gospel to change our lives, to help us find our identity, to see our giants fall. But I also wrote it with a challenge for those who read it who are not yet believers. Would you be transformed by the same message that transformed my life? Guys, I know you don't normally read memoirs. This one is more like an action movie, full of violence and mayhem. But it really is about the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm gonna encourage you, would you consider getting one? They're $15 uh, for one, but then $10 for every book after that. So if you got one for yourself and one for that friend, that family member, that doesn't yet know Christ. And every dollar, every dime, I've written 21 books. I don't take any money myself, never have, never will. It all goes back to mobilize more teenagers for the gospel. Just like what happened yesterday at Dare to Share Life. So any book you get, it's gonna help fuel the cause. If you wanna give a little extra for the cause, you can do that as well. I wanna see every teen everywhere have every last chance to hear the good news of the gospel. There's a billion teens in this world. They all desperately need Jesus. So this Unlikely Fighter book will be a simple way for you to be encouraged, but also to spread the word. I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna ask you to keep your eyes open. I wanna look in your eyes as I pray for you. Father, I pray for these men and women of God, Lord, some unlikely fighters in this room facing unbeatable giants. Some are facing strained marriages, kids that have left the faith, struggling through finances or a prognosis from the doctor, financial crisis, confusion, fear. I pray, Lord, that they would know their victory is secure in Christ, that this world is not our home, that the giants have already been defeated. Goliath has fallen. We have victory through Jesus Christ, our Savior. May they walk in that victory. May they live out that victory. 
May those in this room who are living in shame live in shame no more because their sins are nailed to the cross along with mine. Father, I pray that you would fill every believer here with holy boldness to share the gospel of Christ, to be unashamed. May we fight this fight together in the power of the Spirit of God. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's children said, amen, amen. Hey, those books are available in the back. I'll be there to sign them if you'd like. And let's see what God will do through passing these books out and getting these gospel conversations started. Gospel changes everything. Amen? Amen. Thank you so much. Could we stand to our feet this morning really, really quick? As you're doing that, uh, could we just thank Greg Steer for being here today and blessing us so greatly? Thank you, Greg. We love you. Uh, be sure to go pick up one of his books or several. Also, there's a big thing out there that says thankful. Let's go fill it up. You can write everything you're thankful for. That's awesome. This Wednesday night's our final 21 days of prayer service. It's going to be a great time of worship and word. And also, um, Danny Goki and Natalie Grant are coming to our church. If you haven't bought tickets, that's a good opportunity to go get them today out there in the atrium. Get some for somebody else. It's a great way to invite somebody to our church that might not uh, come on their own on a, on a Sunday or a Wednesday. So can I pray for you before we leave? Father, we pray that you would cover us all week long. Lord, we pray that we would walk in your victory this week. We wouldn't just walk on our own power. We'd walk in your victory. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said a strong amen.